0: This is Big Man Tyrone, and you're about to watch the MTG Cabalcast with your hosts, Wode, Thirsty, and Raptor. Sub to us on all your podcast networks at MTG Cabalcast and YouTube. Alrighty guys, welcome to the newest episode of the Cabalcast. This is part two of three for What to Do About Diversifying your Bonds. So basically, episode one, we called how to, we touched on how to go from being a backpacker to kind of making a segue into vendorhood. Mm-hmm. This episode, we're going to get into the nitty-gritty of a vendor, yep. and what it means to, once you have shifted successfully from the backpacker to I have a booth. And I want to have a booth at a big event. It's not at a pre-release. This is at a Grand Prix, or whatever... Mm-hmm large event they're going to be called from now on if they continue to exist so without further ado let's kick it off
1: uh so i think we're going to start out with probably what is the biggest item here and it's really how you diversify at at an event and what we mean by that is really how you're diversifying your stock what are you what are you bringing what are you looking to do what are you maintaining um kind of how are you carving your niche and um when I think about this, to for me, it's this is based on uh, two things primarily, and we harp, I harp on this all the time, at least. Uh, it's the format of the event and the customer customer profile I've built for myself, online or in person, wherever I am, primarily, and that's pretty much what I uh, attempt to align to. If I'm kind of a potpourri vendor, I'm going to stick with that. You know, I'm going to have a little bit of everything. If I'm a specialized vendor online, like Troll and Toad, they do a lot of commander stuff. So I'm going to make sure, you know, that is my brand um, there. Star City, they're known for their constructed events. So they're going to try and tune into whatever event they're at uh, is. Although, you know, for them, a little bit of their live persona is actually having... Of decent deals on played condition cards right that's kind of the customer played profile case is great yeah, that exactly everybody loves their plate case that's kind of the um, customer profile that they've built for them themselves and then again you know the rest is tailored to the
0: um, to the event for me it's a little bit it's sorry it's not a little bit different it is becoming different uh, basically what we've seen over the last year kind of accelerated the belief that we've said on this podcast that, you know, casuals drive the market Mm -hmm. and your casual format, EDH reigns supreme. So prior, I would have always catered to the event. Uh, I think now I'm going to cater much more towards the EDH crowd regardless of what the event is, because if these events do start to shift more local, which we started to see before they stopped, Mm -hmm. uh, you started to see more of those local guys that just drove up from a few hours away for a day, If that happens, the best way to ensure that you're moving things is to appeal to those casual players, Mm -hmm. the ones that may not have the LGS around. So for me, going forward, that's what I'm going to diversify towards. Is I want to be more of that, you know, EDH specialty casual vendor. Obviously, you know, my thing is I'm really big on bringing staple commons and uncommons. Yes. Because. When you need them, you'll pay $5 to get that last copy of Combust. Mm-hmm. Because only one vendor has it and you need it for your sideboard to up 3% in one match. Yeah, definitely. So I, I'm still going to do that, but for me, I'm going to shift more towards the EDH side of things. Just because I think that's the best way to capture a local market or the people that, you know and maybe this was the same for you at the gps you went to after things started shifting i noticed a lot more people that said they've never been to a gp showing up at these things who may not necessarily shop online to know what your customer profile is and like okay well you know the three things that i want to say about a booth that i am at whatever commons or uncommons you need are there uh good customer service obviously Mm -hmm. and if i don't give you the best price in the room, I'll point you to the person who does. Those are the three things I want to say. And those are good like brand recognition, I think, which has less to do with stock and more about a customer service profile.
1: Oh yeah, uh, absolutely.
0: So that's, for me, that's more what I'm diversifying into going forward. Uh, But I think that depending how some events go, you know, some tournament organizers may only do legacy events, well then obviously I'm going to focus on the legacy stock there.
1: Oh, oh yeah, absolutely. Um, I did have that as kind of a, a side note to this, is unless it's a sealed event, then we won't cater to the event, we'll cater to the side events that we expect yeah. to be popular, because you can read almost all of them ahead of time, and then obviously Commander. Um, yeah. One of the things I do want to point out, because this is actually kind of important now with TCGCon uh, up and coming, is right... Right now for Magic Fests, uh, I never brought sealed. I didn't want to bring sealed. We primarily brought singles because we were flying into events and the ROI on those by weight alone is more than sealed. Um, But we would buy sealed on site if we knew we could churn it there or if we knew it was hot enough that it was worth the weight coming back. Um, There have been exceptions to this, you know, uh, absolutely. Like I mentioned with um, where we might bring Uh, something that's extremely hot like a commander deck uh, or or something supplemental like that and we'll attempt to stock those if possible and uh, the other note that is applicable here is when i was doing anime conventions we would actually drop ships sealed from our distributor to our hotel Uh, and that kind of that avoided the the flight cost because we were buying so much sealed we were buying it you know. By the case, we were getting discounts all over the place. But the goal is to get rid of everything before the weekend ends, which means consistent monitoring and price adjustments. Um, and uh, another caveat to this um, is whether or not we're shipping a pallet back. And if we're yeah. able to kind of run a game on that, then we don't necessarily need to sell all of the sealed. Um, different companies I work, I work for treat pallet shipping, uh, sorry, treat shipping the booth differently. And generally speaking, if I've worked with a a vendor that wants to pallet ship, they're more uh, eager to bring hot sealed home.
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: So Modern Horizons, Dominaria are pretty good examples of that towards the end of their runs. Um, But you won't find a lot of vendors bringing or sealed to or from events when they have to to travel like that. To Magic Fests, that might actually change with TCG cons because we don't really know what that, what that event is truly going to be like in the future. And the ROI might reverse. It could be that sealed is going to be the way to go. You might want to pack a little bit, who knows. Uh, but that's definitely something to think about when you're looking to kind of diversify, set up your booth and really kind of carve out, uh, carve out a niche. Um, so uh, something else we want to talk about is like, you know, what we want to, what you bring and like what to supply. Um, for me, historically, as outside of Vegas, it's only ever really been singles. Um, Vegas yeah. is a different story, captive audience. Sometimes you have something brand new, like um, Ultimate Guard. Brand like products are a little scarce when they first release, so sometimes if you're uh, an early adopter and you're able to get those, they're worthwhile bringing in. some of the Ultra Pro um, stuff. But the booths that I generally work. Uh, are, are usually singles uh, only. That's our, our supply. It's just cases, maybe some binders um, and things like that. But if you wanted to bring other odds and ends, that's kind of on you because you will get those questions.
0: And I, I think especially for me, the extra supplies you bring are actually kind of based on where I'm at in the room. Mm-hmm. So if I'm by the side of an area, probably bringing sleeves because there's going to be draft events there's going to be sealed events and people are going to want sleeves and they're not going to convenience shop to save two dollars on sleeves they'll be like oh great they have sleeves cool now that i've drafted my deck i've got five minutes to get to my match Mm -hmm. i need these sleeves and i need to go absolutely so that's one of those things that you know extra vendors bring you'll always see you know, obviously, the artists and the token guys are there. And this is kind of along that same line where you'll sometimes see dice vendors oh, yeah. or
1: yeah.
0: deck box or deck bag. Uh, I just saw a post today in one of the art groups for TCGCon. There's a sculptor who was licensed to huh. make new magic statues. Uh, there were, you know, Kamigawa Block got them. There's Spirit Link, Sarah Angel, all that from way back in the day. It's Chandra and Liliana. And they're new statues that were licensed and they're going to be at TCG Con and that's going to be the only place to get them for now besides their website after TCG Con and it's about knowing you know what your position is in the room what you're bringing for me because like there were times where cool stuff I know for a fact literally got business because someone needed a life pad
1: Oh, yeah, because yeah. after
0: they made it so you couldn't use dice anymore to indicate life totals, if you lost your life pad, you ran over to cool stuff, you paid $2 for some awful uncommon just so you could get that free life pad. Yeah. Which was really a $2 life pad because you had to buy that awful common. Uh, and I think that you know branding is, this is one of those places where branding kind of comes into play. Because when you signed up for a GP under Channel Fireball, what's something you got? You got a Channel Fireball deck yeah. box... got a channel fireball life pad yep these are the little things that as you get to the space where you have a booth where you're establishing this broader brand these things take on more importance and Mm -hmm. it's the type of thing that you don't necessarily think about until you're in that position at which point you may be at your first gp scrambling because you're like oh god i don't have business cards i don't have this that whatever and you may not want it you may but it's definitely an opportunity for you to help establish a brand there is like you know what these guys are always by the side event stage they've always got sleeves they've always got life pads and boogie boards
1: yeah, yeah, Great. yeah
0: boogie boards are another one that are huge yeah that i will try to bring like one or two cases of every event i go to because they sell so incredibly well. Mm-hmm. and they're
1: yeah they're easy to pick up and move i didn't uh for, for whatever reason it's, it's escaped me the the pens and life pads despite the fact that my last tour of vending was with face-to-face one of the first booths i saw bringing with them uh, life pads and pens but yeah they they don't take up a lot of space and you can just keep infinite in your you know warehouse quote unquote and just bring them as you need you know super lightweight and it's easy branding you know like you said and that, it's something to be aware of. Uh, some people used to do sleeves. I knew I, know face did a company out of Indiana, uh, deck factory, deck factory did, um, yep. on the rare occasion you can find Hararuya sleeves at events and they're always hot. Oh yeah. Uh, for the most part they use like the same or similar process and they're, they're always uh, really high quality stuff too. Yep. Um, and those are usually worthwhile and sometimes just an easy way to kind of market yourself and your supplies, especially if you don't bring a lot. Um, the guy that brings the Dragon Shield case, or the, the display of Dragon shields is probably bringing some of those home. That's maybe not worthwhile at 10 or $12 a pop, whatever you're trying to get rid of them at. But, you know, a dollar or two for a life patent pen, you know, not the sure. worst. Sure, yeah. um, And then there are some vendors that you you touched on this. I've got a couple of my notes that aren't necessarily at events to really sling cards. They're there to kind of do something else. And the the, the two that I have noted, um, this is a vendor TO, Professional event services, Pez. when they are TOing an event, they have a booth. But what is at their booth? It is sealed products from like 4th edition forward. You can buy packs, you can buy boxes. And it's just like two or three people sitting behind a booth the entire weekend just selling old-ass sealed because they don't really want to step on the toes of anybody else in the room. Uh, Similarly, uh, they just want to have a presence. Similarly, you might see somebody like Graded Power show up and they're primarily dealing in spectacle. That's basically what I have written where it's like, those guys are there to remind you that they're out there. They are buying and selling constantly. They're going to be a great source of information and product and they're not ne- but they're not necessarily there to just move all their graded stuff or buy all the graded stuff. It's just about yeah. that presence in the room and reminding people like, "Hey, we're a thing." Um, Vegas is really good for finding these kind of booths. Um, oh, booths, yes. um can't the remember the investment booth that's the one i was trying we to went. think of yeah because i get emails from them every now and again i signed up a while ago to see what the hell it was um yeah th- those yeah. those people were there and they had was it the lotus in a case yeah um just to remind you like hey we're a thing um legion shows up when they to and they they do um apparel or they used to do apparel yeah.
0: i don't know if they still uh, they do it even when they don't to now they yeah. show up for the they're the official pro shop sponsor or were that's when it. pros yeah. existed
1: yeah And so deck boxes and everything uh, like that. And so these are vendors that are kind of there for uh, externalities. You mentioned, you know, um, artists as well do show up. They are a vendor commodity at these events. And now with TCGCon, we're going to see a little more diversification in what happens overall. And this is a space that, you know, one can move into in time. There is a market for a lot of this stuff, whether it's worthwhile or really liquid at at a Magic Fest. It's kind of TBD. But these, you know, these companies do show up and they deal. I don't have a lot of experience in that space. I primarily deal with singles. I I have dealt with a little bit of spectacle. We sold a collector's edition box at a at Vegas. You know, it was a five yeah. figure purchase. But I've never really been the kind of booth that just has, um, you know, pure supplies pure or pure stuff. Apparel. Yeah. yeah. Um, anime comms probably come the closest not because we'll have stuffed animals but because we have some weird stuff from like pokemon box breaks like when you break the big boxes down you have the oversized cards and the coins and um all the the pack promo cards for the digital product Um, you know i've done that kind of thing but i've never really figured out how to kind of diversify that booth you know how are you supposed to really work it
0: and i i think that's it's important to note that like these guys, and this is something you'll see a lot more like Gen Con, where, you know, you'll have someone who's literally there with just different board game size sleeves. Uh, these are the kinds of people that, as a vendor, you're actually typically able to approach and say, hey, do you want to trade some product? Uh, Which, if you're going back to a local scene, is something to keep in mind, Okay. because you may be able to get a product that you don't have access to through a distributor currently. You know, every year at Gen Con, there are those special Gen Con commemorative Dragon Shield sleeves that sell for way too much money right at Gen Con, and then all of a sudden, boom, doesn't matter. They're available for everyone. Great. Awesome. So you may not be able to necessarily get them it could be a kickstarter fulfillment or something or it could just be one of those cool statues yep. and you're like you know what let me see if somebody wants this and you can approach them about trading for product which is another one of those relationship things we talk about that are starting to matter a lot more with the vendor to vendor relationships uh, this is something that gives you an in you can approach these guys and say hey dragon shields here dragon shields obviously cost you less than they cost me do you want to swap and just try to eke out a little more value that way? Okay. So that's, that's something that I've noticed, especially when I was working with Miniature Market. Mm-hmm. It was really common for, you know, vendor-to-vendor, like, product swaps to happen, where it's like, hey, you know, we've got this excess Gen Con exclusive mini from a game that, you know, we manufacture, and you have a bunch of stuff that's only available on Kickstarter that we want for our warehouse. Can we swap this out and just go from there?
1: Okay. Yeah. No, that, that that makes sense. I was thinking more of, like I said originally or earlier, rather, about like a potpourri style booth or somebody mm-hmm. who's kind of like, we are a comic shop, but we're out here at this convention. So here's a bunch of like ceramic busts, etc., etc. Yeah. So, no, but it's good to think about. And like I said, something I I don't really the space I don't really work in, so it's interesting to, to learn about. And then you know, talking about spaces, especially with TCG Con coming up and comparatively speaking a lax rule set in regards to uh, booth layout you know splitting a space and this could be anything from like uh, an lgs level where you're able to do like consignment cases all the way down to events themselves um, you know And when you're working an event like that, it's really how you want to present the booth and then split it and then run it. You know, essentially which company is going to be the face of the booth in terms of logo frontage, then handling sales and buys, you know, your personnel. And in my mind, it's essentially a booth shop. um, But you could also actually have uh, an umbrella entity or something new built for the event. So you could just be, you know, putting more stuff under one um, LLC. Or one incorporated yeah, off. Yeah,
0: and I think, at least in my experience, when I've split booths, which is something happening at TCG Con, uh, for me, it's basically been, you know, you have a few different ways you can arrange that. You can either set up, here's my cases, here's my buy space. Mm-hmm. We just occupy the same space. We're gonna communicate about what cards we're not competing on yep. for the weekend. What are the cards you really want? What are the cards I really want? Cool. And then there's times where it's like, hey, uh, so you have 30K by cash, I have 70K, you have 20K. So let's pull it all together. And at the end of the weekend, we'll portion out the purchases in an order based on our buy power for the weekend. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, I had 70K, you had 30K, you had 20 so I will get the equivalent out of our stock of singles and, you know, draft or whatever you have to do to figure it out. Uh, but that's a way that you can easily kind of do it all on the back end and, you know, kick the can down the road, so yeah. to speak, where you're not necessarily doing it up front. Like, oh, uh, you know, go to that guy to sell your scavenging is, yep. yeah. you know, two, two feet away. He's the one you want to go to. Sorry, he's got a line. Uh, it, it enables you to split it up a lot more effectively and do it in a more... Streamlined fashion for customer service, mm-hmm. which I think is the important facet of that style agreement. Oh, yeah, is, yeah. You know, Pull it and figure it out after the weekend's over when you're all too tired to deal with people and you're probably going to make some mistakes, but who cares it, it it when somebody it is. Wins, so, yeah.
1: It, yeah. It, it's, it, yeah, it's pretty much like we both said, essentially a booth job from our episode uh, about yeah. that and, and discussing it. And there are a number of ways to do it. And like I said, it really. A lot of this is going to come down to almost everything we've talked about, like what TCGCon is going to bring to this this economy and what the event space is going to look like for uh, card vendors. Because, like yeah. as I mentioned, the opportunity to create a new incorporated and then mush a bunch of LLCs underneath does exist. So it essentially you can just rotate through you know, LLCs, who's going to show up where, because TCGCon might care that the same vendor does or does not show up X amount of times in Y space kind of thing. And I don't think it's really going to become something that drastic, but it does offer the opportunity. And then, um, you know, tying back into the first uh, item we talked about, you know, it is about presenting the correct booth for the space. You know, your frontage is going to determine you know, who you're going to be selling to your customer profile and then how the booth will be stocked, there'll come that expectation. So splitting the space is really important in that regard too. Even if you're all going to be there, you do still want to represent whatever company is on your banners to the best of your ability and if that means you know stocking everything that's stocking everything if it's having a commander focus with a modern back end you know that's it and maybe you know two people provide commander one provides modern and it really comes down to all the legwork you need to do ahead of time after the decision is made like hey uh, I've got a booth I want to chop it do you want in and then you work through it that way it's, it's a fairly organic process and fairly straightforward the most difficult part is as we've discussed what to do with the product at the end you know who, who comes home with what yeah um, who
0: gets the dual lands and who ends up with a bunch of pat tag sides
1: yep exactly um you know and again that's just based on your local customer profile or your online customer profile you're just going to fill the gaps that you have You know, with the cards you need, and you know, essentially, that uh, that's what a lot of this kind of you know boils down to is, all right. So you you're looking, you're thinking about going from backpacking to vending. Well, who you're going to serve? You know, what is your end goal? What do you want your stock to look like? And how do you want to go fish for clients? Essentially, you know, where are you going to cut your deals? And what's going to be best for you? And then as you move into this vendor space, you know, it's like, okay, where am I going to look to go to these events? What do I need to do to um, actually present myself at these events? And how do I best serve those who may or may not know about me? And at the end of the day, that part of it is actually a lot easier because a lot of it can be figured out on the fly. There's a lot yeah. of like, grand actions that need to be taken up front but then the minutiae can be done over time because nobody gets it right the first time and you're not going to get all the advice you need before your first event you know there's going to be a lot to it and as long as you take those initial steps and complete all those grand actions you'll be successful in your first bunch of events and then from there you can just roll it and the more you just add because Work in this industry. The yeah. more people you'll meet, the more you can talk to and help hone, you know, your identity, your space, your niche, and you know, your booth appearance. We talked about the importance of vendor-to-vendor relationship, and you know that this is part of it. It's you know discovering how to better yourself, and even when you are vending at you know the highest level, sometimes it is about taking a step back and going to a different type of event and see how things are done. You know, yeah. you're primarily collectibles. Uh, Um, be it cards or anything else. Well, what do they do at sports card shows? What do they do at, you know, um, board game trade shows? What do they do here and here? And see what other people are doing and bring some of that back to what you do and innovate the space. And that's really how you're gonna eventually get ahead.
0: Yeah, and I think that's the important thing is that it's a lot more collaborative at the vendor level than it is at the backpacker level. you know, at backpacker level, you're basically, you know, hey, here's the stuff I'm looking for this weekend, the same as you would to a vendor, you know, what's the stuff you're looking for, let me inquire. whatever, excuse me, at vendors, it's way more collaborative, because it's not just, you know, what are you looking for? It's also, you're all existing in the same space, you're all stealing ideas from each other, or whatever you want to call it, you know, you're borrowing ideas, it's, going to happen. There's no original ideas in this space anymore. It's all borrowed from somewhere. And it's important that, you know, there's not as much competition at the vendor level, in my experience between vendors, you know, it's we're all taking slices of the same pie, sometimes mine's bigger than yours, sometimes yours is bigger than mine. Mm -hmm. And that is so much more important at the vendor level, because you need those vendors because you need the people that are gonna pay you $5 for your $3 TCG low card. Because when you're sitting on a thousand of those and you need buy cash for the weekend, you need to be able to go over there with those thousand and you need to have a good relationship with them that you can be like, here's a thousand of these and walk away without anybody counting them. Yeah. And there's actually a thousand there. It's, it's not about like there's one on top and one on bottom and it's fake. No, there's actually a thousand there and you have that trust between vendors. Because once that's developed, it is just like you said, much much harder to fail. You're you're just rolling success at that point. So
1: yeah, it, it it's an interesting space to work in because no one entity can really capitalize and own it all. So it becomes a symbiotic relationship, and that's where we keep mentioning. You know, you got to serve your audience and know what to bring to to sell to whom, and at the same time be willing to point people in the right direction when you're unable to serve a customer you know you mentioned earlier if you can't sell something to somebody at uh, either the lowest price of the room or you might not even have it but you know who does send that person in the right direction because now you've introduced that customer to another vendor and the opportunity for, for them to spend money in both places now actually benefits the space as a whole And it's really unique because this is kind of the only space that I've worked in where that's the case. Uh, Everything else has just been, you know, pure corporation and conglomerate, you know, try and be the biggest you can before you hit any kind of antitrust or monopoly um, structure. But that's not how vendors work. It's a really amicable and a really interesting space to work in. And it's, you know, it's worthwhile and it's a super fun place to be honestly like graduating from backpacking to, to bending you know if you can do it, it is a very worthwhile thing it's a lot of time though it's a huge uh, endeavor
0: a ton yeah uh so be prepared for sleepless weeks not just nights yeah
1: there is that bit um anything else before we head to picks
0: nope let's do it All right
1: um i'll go first okay so this because mine as we talked about before the cast, this, uh, this was a doozy. Oops. Um, so Friday night, uh, I was I was going through picks because it was a travel day, but it's neither here nor there. And uh, I've, I've held some of the courts on my Court of Grace, Court of Ambition, et cetera, on uh, my watch list for a while, and um, Court of Grace finally started to pop, so I was like, all right, let's take a look at this. And CK was buying a, a much larger number of... Um, Last night or this week than they were a couple of weeks ago when I first put it on my list, and the buy price had uh, effectively doubled uh, as well. The uh, TCG market has kind of held similar, but um, population is in that weird flux state where as it rose, more flood into the, flooded into the market because people just wanted to dump and, and sell in. Um, so I was like, all right, we'll run it. And, you know, you you take a look at this card and it triggers in your upkeep, you make a 1-1 Soldier, and if you're the Monarch, then you make a 4-4 Angel, which is, you know, pretty neat. Uh, Overall, the playability of this card is a little more narrow than anything else. It just kind of generates tokens. Um, When you generate one token a turn, you're in, like, this weird medium wide, but also go tall kind of deck. And, you know, that's really what's looking to take uh, advantage of this. And decks that also want to really create and maintain the monarch uh, are going to hold it as well so that could either be done through an ability on a card like the court or through combat Um, and you know you want to make a constant stream of tokens your primary plan isn't to shotgun a bunch of tokens onto the battlefield you're just trying to play a slow grind so when you look at this card the initial glance says that these decks like i said want to go medium wide and just a little bit tall and um, they're use a lot, utilizing this as a source of constant creature output with upside, going from a 1-1 to a 4-4. So when we take a, a look at uh, EDH-REX, uh, and we take a look at the, the top commanders, and we say, OK, you know, what is this actually doing? You can see pretty clearly that aside from some uh, like outliers like, uh, again, Arcanum Weaver, a lot of this is just about you know, slow slowly accruing additional creatures, buffing them a little bit, and taking over the game um, that way. But kind of outstanding, then, are Jared, uh, Carthalian, True Heir, and Queen Marchesa. They're more of your monarchy-style decks. Yeah. They're, they're what's going to play this um, for card-advantage reasons. Um, because, you know, this plays into both sides of how you can attain the monarchy... By ability or by combat. So, this falls squarely into basically a casual token strategy and something that just wants to really grind out the game. Neither the Jarrah decks nor Queen of Marches are really like consistently quick decks. They're just there to play the maximum amount of magic they can. Yeah. So, when I picked this and we were looking uh, at the stocks graph, and I'll graph and I'll extend this out so we can see, you know, we're, when I picked it, we were basically buying into a recovery of. Uh, the market price it it, it crashed after an all time high um, so I thought it was going to be you know pretty interesting to pick up now because there would be profit to buy list um, you know basically I thought about 6 months of things held steady and once uh, the open market picked up, and prices adjust demand. Uh, sharing would most likely put us at about 12 months for any type of profit overall. That's if you bought in on Friday. Um, over the weekend, CK's buyless quantity of 132 was filled, just straight filled. So we're definitely looking at an easy six plus months if demand continues, that we've seen, um, but. I also don't doubt that there will continue to be arbitrage opportunities. They just won't be as large as we saw heading into the weekend, and yeah. this moves much more into whole territory rather than just trying to um, arbitrage. When I came back to the Card Kingdom on Monday, and I only saw that they were buying the extended variant non-foil and the standard uh, foil version, I really thought that TCG player had been emptied because there was immediate arbitrage opportunity but that was not the case on Friday there were 251 copies Uh, unique prices of this card at LP or better Um, as of recording there's 236 so 15 unique prices disappeared and um, the market price is about the same as it was then so overall, I think this is a good card to hold on to. You can still buy in at a really decent price. It's just the timeline has extended now. Um, again, I thought this was going to be a layup to buy a list immediately via arbitrage and then a couple months uh, later down the road is when we would actually see pure profit to buy a list with uh, like a clear win in about a year. Now I think we're solidly looking at six months to minimum profit to buy a list but yeah. still a clear win to buy a list in about a year now, all said and told this is one of those things where I've seen Jareth play it's Jareth right not Jared he didn't go yeah, to yeah Jareth
0: Leon and Titan
1: yeah not Jareth Jared oh sure. Jared. Jared yeah um, I have seen Jared play it in a couple commander videos not paired with Court of Grace so I can imagine that if this does see that kind of uh um, Play not play pattern. If this does see play on, you know, Commander Clash content. or whatever Star City, yeah, any kind of uh, popular Commander content, we might see this pick up again. I don't doubt that, uh, but I'm not holding my breath on it.
0: Yeah, I I like this pick. Uh, one for the irony because they asked us asked for card draw in white, so they gave them something that gives them monarch and said, "Here's your card draw." Yep. Uh, two. I just think stuff like this, these like token strategies in Selesnya colors, especially. Yeah. Uh, not only that, it satisfies the tribal. You get soldiers, you get angels. Mm-hmm. Uh, it really does just hit all of those casual EDH yeah. checkmarks. And it's also something that was printed recently. And in cycles like this, they're typically loath to reprint them anytime soon. Uh, it's somewhat plain specific as well which is kind of nice um because the courts were in the school but they may be like no they're just courts so who knows but i think the reprint equity is pretty low here yeah. as well so i think that it's not one of those picks where you necessarily like well we're looking at six months unless a reprint ends i just don't think we're going to hit a reprint in the next couple of years with this card so i would see it as you know worst case like you said, you're looking at 12 months for pure profit to buy list, which is not terrible for the cost. It's not like this is a $20 card no, you're getting in
1: on. Yeah, like, the the market and the average prices, when you look at stocks, is pretty much a lie. You can just a TCG, TCG player right now and pick up a bunch for like a dollar under market value. Like, they're there, they're available, and it, it speaks to people just trying to sell out, because it's into whatever demand seemingly just kind of appeared out of nowhere so it was a race to the bottom to get out of this stuff and you're able to get in now pretty cheap so I, th- I think now is the time to buy and then yeah uh, you know, speaking to everything you said it checks all those boxes including the weird one that's play as much magic as possible yeah like
0: that's what winter orbs for
1: and stasis but that's not a good Yeah.
0: <laughs> alright so I am picking mine based on a couple of things one a recent rules update that gave all infect creatures the creature type Phyrexian. And two, the fact that we're about to see basically six straight months of creature type matter sets. Yep. Cardus Plague Engineer. So, in addition to that, we we got the old border variation and modern horizons. So, I am actually picking modern horizons one Plague Engineer here because one, I think we're about to see a little bit of a dip in the price because Old Border exists, so naturally people are going to flock to that one and try to upgrade their copies. Yep. Of course, you'll see a dip in the price because the man for that version drops. Two, over the next six months, is it likely that we're going to get some kind of lord for a creature type that matters that people are going to want to play? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. I, of course we are. Uh, in that case, well, it might be an elf. Uh, it might be a cleric. It might be a rogue. There's tons of decks for these creature types where a card like Plague Engineer is suddenly relevant. Mm -hmm. Then you get into the Infect stage of it. Infect is arguably Tier 1 in Legacy at times. And there's been times where it's been pretty darn good. Rip Blazing Shawl In Modern as well. I think we may see a resurgence in decks like in Tribal decks and Infect in Modern where Plague Engineer really shines. So... If that's the case, I expect you're looking at probably about six to eight months before we start to see an uptick in this card. Uh, That's because at that point we'll have our MH2 supplies which may or may not actually be to demand. Marrow says it is, we'll see if it actually is. So I'd expect getting in now at about retail, sick deal, somewhere around there, you'd be looking at a profit in about 8 to 12 months, similar to your Court of Grace pick. Now, that said, relying on WotC to print busted creatures in the meantime may accelerate the timeline. Yep. It's not exactly like they're known for playtesting, I don't know, anything. Uh, so there's a possibility that maybe in Dungeons and Dragons we get something that just completely busts Warriors in half, more so than Levisical dies and in that case you may see this spike a little bit sooner but in the meantime i'm perfectly comfortable getting in between three to four dollars over the next three months just acquiring them in trades purchasing them whatever i can do just to try to get this card because it is inevitable that some tribal deck over the next six months is going to blow up when we have twilight three i guess at this point with vampires and zombies which are vampires and werewolves which are releasing at different times now we have dungeons and dragons which is clearly a class matter set yep. and we did just get strixhaven which gave us a good healthy amount of wizards and stuff like that all of which have relevant creature types not to mention someone's going to try to make squirrels happen now that we have another squirrel lord
1: i mean we've seen it it's not even just the squirrel lord so there, there's also a Squirrel Storm. Which makes a bunch yep. of squirrels, and you can win that way, a la um, eight whack. You picked this on Friday, basically into the Frexian rule update. But in the interim, Modern Horizons two has basically gassed the format. And I keep saying this in the in the podcast Discord. It's like every day, Modern and Legacy get faster and faster. Yeah. And I just uh, saw somebody. Uh, I think it was a Star City stream. Todd Anderson just like blanked Ross Merriam with the uh, with the squirrel storm playing eight whack. He just played, uh, you know however many, like, four Wild Cantor, four Burning Tree Emissary, four of the uh, other Burning Tree Emissary that makes Double Green, Goblin, Bushwhacker, and, you know, Squirrel Storm, like, kablam, right? But if you have Plague Engineer and you drop it on Squirrel, they basically go nowhere. Um, similarly, there's, uh, there's several different artifact decks running around that you can, yeah. you know, effectively turn off with Plague Engineer. You don't get the entire, like, entirety of the creature base because it's a little dynamic but you can still get a lot of the threats that way yeah it's not uh, terrible against decks that aren't dedicated to one theme overall but where a majority of the theme shares a creature type it is absolutely uh, a worthwhile card it's something to to look at
0: Um, I don't know I Go ahead. It's I, I, it's it reminds me of when Angel Stompy and we had Combo Winter and Legacy, and everyone included Engineered Plague in their sideboards because goblins was so prevalent at the time. Yeah, and that's all it was for. It was just for the goblins matchup. Yeah. The thing is, like, we already have Humans as a tier one deck that's only gotten better recently in Modern. Cards like Plague Engineer were already in the sideboard for that, and we're getting more tribal stuff. Mm-hmm. Makes sense to me that we would see more plague engineers and sideboards and maybe even mainboard. Uh, criminally underrated on this card, Death Touch, by the oh, way, yeah. when, I which I that. was reminded of when you mentioned the artifacts because it doesn't necessarily blank them, but it certainly makes combat math a whole lot more awkward because you can just block and kill.
1: Yeah. No, but it, very good point. Um, yeah, this is one of those things where it's like if you play these formats that maintain uh, this tribal like history, legacy and modern, this has always been a worthwhile card or where some synergistic deck, a la Grixis Delver relying on, um, Pyromancer tokens to clear out the game. You know, it's a worthwhile card to bring in, you know, even just playing these formats, you should have four of this card anyway, as an investment. It only makes sense to pick them up now before we really see what kind of shakes out in all of these formats, you know, uh, like I mentioned before, you pick this in, you know, ahead of that update, you know, essentially into that update. We saw everything that was in uh, MH2, the majority of the set had been revealed. So we already knew about the squirrel. Like you mentioned, you know, we knew about what was coming down, the humans that were getting updated. People were, you know, building content around this stuff already. And this card already shines. It is exceptionally good at what it does in both modern and legacy and this is a card that i would expect to just continue to tick up over time as it maintains relevancy
0: so it's uh it's only it is also one of those cards that will only get better the more aggressive creatures wizards of the coast prints yep similar to coco it's as long as dudes matter this card matters mm-hmm. and wizards has made it clear dudes are always gonna matter Yep. Yeah
1: magic is whatever uh, i still i still have the statement that legacy is the first two years of spells from magic and the last two years of creatures from magic
0: yeah pretty much
1: yeah uh, yeah I,
0: that is the perfect synopsis yeah. of that
1: for me. <laughs> and it, it's great because you can see that in the new is a delver deck all the spells are basically from like nemesis and previous and all the creatures are from modern horizons too yeah for ragavan four of the other red one drop and Merktide. tide uh <laughs>
0: Yeah. yeah. Arctide Region. It's great.
1: It's awesome. No. Uh, uh say Exactly. At the end of the day I, I do like Plague Engineer. This is also one of those things where you can you know, you like to bring it up every now and again. You can just keep it in your binder forever. People will need this. Yeah. People yeah. that play these formats will just look for it whenever and wherever they can. However many you choose to buy in and you know, you can get out you'll be able to get out at especially in person once we begin resuming the stuff. Um, I expect Modern to continue on. You know, they just made Modern Horizons too. Why wouldn't yeah. you just continue with this format? You. So, you know, overall, I, again, I, I like the pick. I think the timeline's fine. I don't. I think it might actually be shorter just based on what I'm seeing because the reason that Modern Legacy get faster is because the creature decks get better. Or, That's true. It's not really like anybody's playing anything new. Uh, yeah. yeah. Combo, you know, combo is combo. There wasn't much added to any of these decks besides um, gay as well combos. So, True. Um, this is this just helps hone in and tone back the creature effort. Um, per the conversations we had last week about picks, I think we're still kind of missing that mid-range deck in Modern. Watsi gives us a bunch of brilliant cards for John Denabzan, but we don't know what those decks are going to look like yet. And yeah. this slides into those sideboards easily. Yep. So... Uh, overall, like the pick, I, it's a card I really enjoy, and um, I I would advise people to look at this.
0: Yeah. So, I it's sideboard cards are always relevant, and that's something that I've tried to harp on consistently throughout the cast. Is like these cards are pretty good. Yeah. It turns out.
1: Exactly. Um, but unless you got anything else for us this week, I think we can call it a podcast here. As always, we are at MTG Cabalcast on twitter facebook youtube uh patreon and you can find the podcast or the podcast i guess on youtube the podcast is available on apple Podcasts, uh stitcher spotify audible google podcasts and apple podcasts i am at halt i am reptar on twitter you are
0: Yep, yeah, thirsty says
1: later. see you next week